morning, church. How are you? You're looking great. So, so glad that you're here today with us. Um, you'll, you'll have to excuse my brain fog this morning. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for words while talking to people that I can't find, and I know that they're in my vocabulary. Has that ever happened to you? Um, I was just over there with my wife. We were giving our offering, and she was laughing at me because I was doing it on the app, and my reaction was just so slow, and this account, and this. I didn't actually get to submit. I was like, Lord, I promise I'm going to give this after service, but please bless it, and thank you, and, uh, and I said amen and ran up here. So I'm sorry. I, I uh, may be preaching for two hours today. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. Um, For those that are new to the Exchange Church, I love this place a lot. Um, this, this is a place where purpose is awakened and developed, and this is a place where family is built. Um, for those times and seasons in life when you need family, my family has encountered that this week, over the last 30 days really, but... Less than 48 hours ago, my mother-in-law um, went to be with the Lord. And uh, Carrie's mom is such a, an incredible woman. And, you know, for the last 26 years since I've been married, um, she has just had such an impact on my life personally. But what, what's been interesting is through this journey, I've had the honor of being the communication link to mom's friends outside a family, um, just trying to relieve some of the burden. You know, when you've got five kids and spouses, like mom did, there's just a lot of communication that needs to happen. And um, so I was trying to help. And I had the honor of talking to all of mom's friends. So I, I have a whole new set of friends that I did not have <laughs> prior. Many of them live in, in old, older retirement centers. And some of them have been calling me at 2 a.m. Um, it's really quite precious, to be honest. Um, so what a blessing that mom has passed on her friends to me. Um, I just don't think I'm going to actually meet their standard because mom would talk to them every day, and I don't know that I can commit to that. But anyway, um, mom had COVID. For those that are wondering, it was a shock. I mean, she was 72. We thought for sure she would live till 90. Um, if you know her, she's a big kid, went everywhere nonstop. I mean, quarantine wasn't going to keep her down, you know. We had to tell her an o over and over, like, Mom, stay home this whole past year. And uh, she just is, was full of life, uh, but not just full of life. She was full of Jesus. So I've been able to see the impact that she's had on people that I didn't even know existed. So I'm quite moved. Um, I, I, I'm more enamored with my mom today than I was when she was alive. And, and uh, it's kind of a shame, but it's also kind of beautiful. Uh, she's a lovely woman. And so I, um, I'm a little scatterbrained today, you know? And I hope you'll give me the grace to be, be so. Um, 
I do want to say something. Um, my wife wants to thank you for the prayers. Uh, back to the Exchange Church, we've just been overwhelmed with the generosity of you people. I'm not talking financial. I'm just talking the generosity of giving us your heart. The, the text, the encouragement, the love, the hugs, the, you know, you name it. My, my wife just wants to say thank you for that. Um, and we also want, want you to know that all five kids, all five kids who are all very different, by the way, you've met most of them, I think. Um, all five kids uh, came step together in unity throughout this process. There were a lot of really tough decisions that had to be made. And, you know, of course, my wife is the oldest of the five, so her signature was on a lot of the paperwork. But it was beautiful that her signature represented the hearts of all five children because there was such unity in the hospital over the last, you know, 24, 48 hours. And they all decided at, at some point, you know, Carrie said, uh, Mom, we release you to go if you want to go, if you want to go home. And um, I just believe that when she got there, Jesus gave her a choice. Because the reality is she shouldn't be gone. In my estimation, she shouldn't be gone. But I believed when she stepped from here to there, the Lord gave her a choice. You remember when we were on the Heaven series, we read that book about all of the stories of people that had gone to heaven and come back. And like, it's just kind of surreal how they all say the same thing. And so many of those people were given a choice, you know? And I believe that mom had a choice. And I know exactly what she would have said. No, no question about it. And my feelings aren't even hurt that I don't compare to heaven, you know? She would have been like, are you kidding me? Uh, Ernest is here. Grandma Hawker is here. Like, I, I feel complete. I feel fulfilled. I feel more purpose than I've ever felt in my life before. And you want me to go back there? I mean, Scripture says that we see now through a glass dimly. But when we behold him face to face, everything will change. So I know mom said she wanted to stay. And... We allowed her to uh, stay. She did. And so I'm grateful for that. I also want to just invite you uh, to the after party celebration this Saturday. Uh, if you know mom, you would know we can't call it a funeral. It is an after party. Um, and so we want to invite you to the after party Saturday at 10 a.m. right here at the Exchange Church. Um, we're going to celebrate the life and the her five children will decide what that looks like and they'll all have some fun with it and we'll, we'll honor her well. We'll honor her well. Um, Mom would always say what she wanted at her funeral and we would always be like, Mom, don't, don't. We don't want to hear that. Don't talk about that. Well, when I die, I want X, Y, and Z and, and I'm going to be watching and you better make sure. And I, all the time, all the time. It's like I've, I honestly believe she was excited about her someday funeral. I told Carrie in this process, I know Jesus is coming soon. I mean, I've been praying, Lord, just, you know, heal her so she can see the rapture. But then I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, why would he do that when her, the greatest thing she ever wanted was a funeral? So <laughs> if mom passes, Jesus is definitely coming soon. 
So anyway, uh, Saturday at 10 a.m., I do hope that you'll be here. You know, when you're in this much pain, it's really easy to get inward focused in your world to become really small, you know, and just worried about a few things. But there are a lot of things happening out in the world today. There's a lot of things, and I hope that you're watching because the global stage is pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And I have been beating this drum for the past 12 months. I mean, I've known it since I was a kid, but I've seen it since March of last year. I've seen the day approaching since March of last year, and I'm beating the drum louder and louder and louder. Right now, um, if you don't know, we've got a situation with Russia, Crimea, the water crisis there, and the Ukraine. There's, there's likely going to be an invasion. Maybe there's talk of that. Then you've, over here, you've got China potentially wanting to invade Ty, uh, Taiwan. Then you've got Iran wanting to invade Israel. Listen, the stage is getting set, church. If you read God's word, it's all unfolding. Thousands of years ago, it was penned not by the hand of man, but by the heart of God who knew the future. And why did he know the future? Because he's created it. And it is unfolding before our very eyes. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. But until then, my calling isn't just to get to heaven. My calling is to bring heaven to earth. So until then, we're going to occupy. And we're going to be faithful. And we're going to be courageous. And we're not going to sit down and watch Netflix or Pure Flix and just wait for Jesus to return. We're going to continue to storm the gates of hell and rescue one more person from hell before Jesus comes, and then another, and then another. I want to read to you my text, Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not, this is my wife's, one of her favorite verses, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, that's by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you that your word is so powerful that even uh, the few moments that we have together, God, your word is just going to take root in our hearts and in our life. God, I thank you that there is none before you. I thank you there is none after you. God, I, I thank you that, um, God, you have not just come to save us, but you have come to dwell within us so that we could bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. So God, I thank you for this moment, this moment of life change, of transformation, this moment of hope, beautiful hope. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen. 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 You know, Jesus started his ministry with um, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Most people repent to get forgiven, but they don't repent to see the kingdom of heaven at work in their life. 
I hope that we understand that there is a difference. It's the same repentance, but the different, a different focus. One is a get-out-of-jail-free card. One is a God-what-is-your-will-for-my-life card. We've been assigned to bring the reality of heaven here on earth. Not just to live in our own Christian bubble, to be satisfied with me and Jesus, right? And, and no one else. Everyone else can go to hell. As long as I am fine with Jesus, as long as I feel good, as long as God is meeting my needs and I'm in relationship with him, um, that's fine with me. That's not actually what God called us to. God called us to be change agents in the world to bring heaven to earth. Repentance is the way of the renewed mind. I've talked before, repentance is not about feeling sorry for our sin. I'm going to talk about sin today. Um, this is not what you may call a hellfire brimstone message. In no way do I uh, hope to bring condemnation over you. Um, I'm just going to reference sin. Sin is um, not just missing the mark, but where we take our eyes off of Jesus, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Repentance is saying, I can do it all myself. I've got the right education. I've got the right skill set. I've got the right friends. Um, but I have to turn my eyes from here and turn them to Jesus. Would you all agree? This is what repentance means. It's not feeling sorry for your sin. It's not crying and weeping, begging God to forgive you. Repentance is a change of mind. Understanding that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. One of our songs said it this morning. Repentance is living a life focused on God's hand over you rather than you living your own life until you feel bad and you run to an altar. Faith doesn't... It's really hot in here. If anyone has access to a thermostat, I don't know if you're just trying to make my wife happy today, but the preacher needs some air. Faith doesn't come from our intellect. Okay? It comes from our heart. Faith is not the product of striving. It's the product of surrender. It's in my nature, in my nature in Christ, to be a person of faith. Jesus, by the way, never taught us uh, how we should respond when we have unanswered prayer. Because Jesus never had any. What does faith look like in the context when it doesn't seem to line up with the example of Jesus that you read about? Jesus that you believe in? The theology that you've created in your mind. I'm not sure that I have all of those answers, but I have some clues. I have some ideas that I want to share with you today. You see, Jesus invited us into a journey of what might be possible 
in our lifetime. Because I don't see something happen doesn't mean I stop believing in what can happen. Faith, by the way, is not positivity. I want to clarify that for a moment. It's not seeing the glass half empty or half full. Faith is seeing the table that the glass is resting on. Faith is not optimism. It's not believing that everything is going to be all right. It's believing that God can, that God will, and even if he doesn't, I'm going to trust him anyway. That's what faith looks like. You know, I've watched my wife over this past month speak life and hope to a situation um, when she was fully aware of the circumstances. She was 100% aware of the odds. She was not in denial. She wasn't She wasn't walking by blind faith. She was walking in real authentic true faith. You know, that's what faith is. It's partnering with what God can do. But because we look through a glass dimly, we don't always see the other side of what he's going to do. Are you with me? I just want, I want us to get an idea as we're talking about mindset of what faith, what it, what it looks like. Because I'm afraid we don't always know what it looks like. Sometimes, you know, we, we're afraid to say that we have a headache when we have a headache because we're afraid that makes us look like we don't have faith. Faith isn't about lying about your circumstance. It's not saying you don't have a headache when you have a headache. No, you, you really have a headache. Faith is saying even in this headache, God is able to bring healing. I heard a story yesterday from my brother-in-law, and I think he's preaching it today at his church, but just pretend that I came up with it. He was telling me the story of a man who was in the hospital with a loved one who was dying, or not dying, I'm sorry, with a loved one who was not doing well, but but the probability was high that it wasn't going to end well. And the doctor kept telling this loved one, and they were going to send him home, but said, you know, don't get too attached within 30 days. You can expect that he, he will transition. And this guy is, is talking to the doctor, and he said, okay, I, I understand. And the doctor said, but wait a minute. I, I want you to hear me because I'm afraid, I'm afraid you're in denial. And the man got offended a bit because he had been speaking life the entire time. He had been speaking hope. He had been speaking what God could do the entire time. And and the doctor said, I need you to understand like 30 days you're going to see something that you may not be prepared for. And I think you're in denial. And the man looked at the doctor and said, no, I think you're in denial. And the doctor said, well, what do you mean? And the man said, I'm not denying anything that you've told me. I actually believe 100% everything that you've told me. But you're in denial about the power of my God. 
You see, faith is not ignoring circumstances, ignoring stats, ignoring what could happen. It's not looking at an empty glass and saying that it's really full. It's saying it's sitting on a table that can hold both a full glass and an empty glass, and the table isn't going to be destroyed by the condition of the glass. You know, faith doesn't stop when that thing that you're believing for doesn't happen the way you were declaring. And and listen, uh, our church family, we have fought for things in the Spirit to happen. We have prayed for things, many things. Many of you, I'm looking across the room and I see the stories where we have prayed together for something to happen and that thing didn't happen, right? But you're still here. That's because faith isn't about getting what you want. Faith doesn't stop when that result shows up. Faith continues on even when mom passes away. Faith continues on even when you don't get pregnant. Faith carries on. Did I say that right? Faith carries on even when that result is unfavorable, right? It wasn't faith that got you the win, It was faith that was with you on the journey to see the win or the loss. And it is faith that is with you on the journey that carries you through after the loss. Faith isn't a credit card that gets accepted or declined. It isn't a method. Faith is a way of life. Some people believe that faith is a river that flows through a valley. Faith is actually a river that flows from the mountain to the valley, to the next mountain, to the next valley, to the next mountain and the next valley. And and as a person of faith today, and by the way, I can just confirm for you firsthand, hot off the presses, that God is still close to the brokenhearted. It's still true, church. I know some of you, you're like, I'm not brokenhearted. That's okay. But it's good news. Because you might be someday. And God is still close to the brokenhearted. And as a person of faith, going through what I consider to be a really, I don't even know the word to use, time. The target, the goal, the focus for me and, and for you is the renewed mind. It's not about trying to stir the pot of faith, trying to get more faith, trying to increase your faith, because it's actually not the quantity of your faith that does anything. So when faith feels shaky, the focus becomes renewing your mind. The target is the renewed mind. Faith doesn't come from the mind, as I've already said. It's not the source of our faith. The mind is not the source of our faith, but it's kind of like the banks of a river that faith flows through. If we don't renew the mind, yet we're trying to stand on faith, it's like putting old wine in new wineskins. Renewing the mind is a process, a daily shift, a journey. And I wish, I wish, man, I wish the renewed mind came from studying scripture, Carlos. 
I wish I could just send you home because I've only got a couple minutes left in this sermon. I wish I could just have this big moving crescendo with keys and everything and say, all you got to do to renew the mind is read a chapter a day, right? The problem is I know a lot of people who read a lot of scripture who don't have a renewed mind. It's a part of the process, maybe even the beginning, but it's not the key to a renewed mind. Think of the Pharisees who knew scripture better than anyone. Did they have a renewed mind? Jesus taught his disciples. He worked with his disciples, rather, on everything that he taught and he did, scripture says. There wasn't a separation between what he taught, what he believed, and what he lived, what he did, his behavior. In our society, we isolate the two, what we believe and what we do, right? Um, and we, we see that, I mean, a silly example of isolating what we teach and what we do. Did you know that you can, Vance, you may not believe this, but you can go to college and get a business degree Top university. I mean, pick, pick the top. You can go there, get a business degree, spend four years learning how to own your own business, the whole time being taught by professors who have never owned their own business. Because our society has elevated principle and information over experience. As long as we know it in our mind, as long as we can put, you know, connect all the dots on the paper, we, we are good. We elevate concept over experience. But the biblical mandate, church, is A and B. I should have named this church A and B. The A and B church. I feel like I'm saying that phrase every sermon these days. It's A and B, guys. It's A and B. It's what we're, we're taught and what we, what we do. The biblical mandate is that we come to know him so you can read scripture, be taught scripture. But if it never comes from here to here, you never become like him. And that is our mandate. That is what changes the world. That is the shift that needs to happen in our hearts and in our homes. That's what it looks like to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The Holy Spirit who once rested on the prophets of old now lives inside of us. And because he is the spirit of resurrection... He lives inside of us, and he wants to get out. Holy Spirit in the Bible is described as a river, not a lake. The thing that God has placed inside of you is not there to be a reservoir for you. It is there to flow out of you into a world who needs a drink. And so we, if we want to have our mindset shifts, we have to never turn away an opportunity to die. Because resurrection happens after death, not before. 
there's some things in your life that need to die today. And I know that it's hard to let go of what you've been holding on to because it's normal. It's normal, but can I, can I just tell you, can I be God's mouthpiece today and say, what you're holding on to is not normal. It's just old. It's just familiar. Because something is familiar does not make it normal. And because something is comfortable does not make it kingdom. But Jesus created a new way so that you and I can be a living sacrifice. As we read in our text, Romans 12, 1 through, 1 through 2, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Many of us, many of us aren't interested in the living sacrifice part of this thing we call faith. We love the blessings, we'll take that. We love the eternal security, we'll take that. We love the hope, give me some more of that. I, give me more, G- give me all you got. We pick and choose what we want, but unfortunately, you and I are called to be this thing called a living sacrifice. And for a sacrifice to happen, something must die. I have this saying on my bathroom mirror, and it says, the orphan heart and the son heart can't live in the same body. One of them has to die. Every morning I wake up and I remind myself, am I a son or am I an orphan? Because they have two completely different sets of behaviors. Conform to the world or be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I suppose the purpose, since I'm over time and I've got to stop now, and I have another page of notes, so I haven't really gotten to what I need to get to to make this even a sermon. Um, I want to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to step on your toes this week. Let the mind of Christ be the same mind that is in you. I'm afraid that we have allowed our habits, the things that are comfortable, the things that we've held on to, to dictate our vocabulary and our phrases. And I just believe that, as I mentioned about Carrie this past month, like there is power and there is life and death in the power of the tongue. So we have to allow our faith not just to be something to hold on to when things are bad, but to be a way of life where we begin to declare things out of our mouth that changes the earth. I'll give you a couple of examples and then I'm done. These are some things that I wrote down that maybe people have said or I've said or my friends have said. I'm not going to... I'm not going to admit that I've said any of these, but someone has. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's no one at the Exchange Church on campus or from home. It's definitely someone from another church. But someone has said these things, okay? And I'm not even saying they're wrong. Can I just, can I just be free to just say 
say some phrases without you being offended. That's the, by the way, that's the largest offense on planet Earth today, the spirit of offense. It really is. So I want to just say some things because they're really no big deals, but I don't, I don't want the enemy to create something in your heart that my heart's not intending. So I hope that that makes sense to you. Here's the first phrase. The first phrase is the saying, I don't like people. Now, if you said, I don't like people, don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't start hyperventilating. Please don't nudge your husbands. I don't like people is a phrase that we, we can't afford to say as a believer. I've heard and I've said many times, I love ministry, but man, people drive me crazy. I know a lot of pastors who love ministry, but people drive them crazy. We were made for relationship. Christ died for people. How can we not like the thing that he died for? How can we not like the thing that bears his image? I don't like people. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you should enjoy relationships with others. If you don't, something is in the way. Guilt, shame, pain. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not normal to isolate. It's not normal to not have any friends. Are you, am I offending some of you yet? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just not normal to say, I don't need anybody but Jesus. Because Jesus needed people. Jesus needs you. Another, this is just a little fun one. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Maybe we'd start seeing more victories in our life if we'd learn to replace our cuss words with praise words. As a Christ follower, it's, it's actually not normal. And I know I'm going to get the emails already. It's fine. I don't mind. I'll read them. Send it to Cheryl at theexchangechurch.org. As a Christ follower, it's not normal to speak anything other than life over situations and others. You know, in James chapter 3, it talks about bridling the tongue. If you were to research those words, you would find it is the same intensity. Bridling the tongue should be used as when it describes sexual passion and temptation. You know where it talks about fleeing from sexual immorality? We should use the same fervor of fleeing from sexual immorality as we do with bridling the tongue. Now, listen, I get there's a difference between cussing and cursing. I'd rather somebody cuss me all day, but don't curse me. You curse me, I'm going to start rebuking some things out of you. Do you know what I mean? Can we have fun? Some of you are like, what is he saying to me right now? I really like doing that. That's how I express myself. I, I'm not, this isn't a message about, hey, don't cuss. What, what I'm saying to you is that as you 
dig deeper into the nature of, of who Jesus is, he, he brings some extravagant vocabulary your way that releases life into situations, not frustrations. Okay, y'all didn't like that one. Let me move to another one. Here's some other stuff that might be offensive. Self-love, self-esteem, self-hope, sorry, self-help. Did you know that Jesus actually never teaches about that? The only thing self-related that Jesus ever talks about is self-denial. About picking up our cross and following him. About getting over ourselves so that we can be of help to someone else. When we read the Bible, we think, how does this apply to my life, right? I mean, that's, that's the new hip thing now. The pastor didn't tell me how to apply that to my life. Reading the Bible is not about self. When, when I read the Bible, I shouldn't say, how do I apply this to my life? I should say, what does the author mean? What is God trying to say? Because if I can see that, my behaviors work themselves out. My life works itself out. I don't have to be so focused on my circumstances in the pages of Scripture. I need to be focused on Jesus in the pages of Scripture. And once I can see Him, When I can see Jesus in the room. At North Austin Medical Center. On a Friday night at 8 p.m. When five siblings walk out of a waiting room. And back to remove the thing. That has been giving air to my mom. When I can step into the corridor of that hospital and I'm waiting for one of two things. I'm waiting for screams and shouts of, oh my God, she's alive, she's awake, she's moving. I know one of two things is going to happen, that or, or I'm going to see five kids walking back toward me. But when you can see Jesus in an empty hallway of a cold hospital when there's no hope left on the table then your life gets transformed because it's not about the circumstance or the result the win or the loss it's my desperate need for him So we can self-help all day long. We can self-medicate all day long. Sometimes you just need to push all that off the table and say, God, I'm here in an empty room. I've not seen you for years. I don't know where you are. I didn't see you when I lost that person. I didn't see you when I was raped. I didn't see you when I was at the abortion clinic. I, I didn't see you in divorce court Maybe you just need to spend some time with Jesus this week and ask him to make himself known. 
because he's always, always in the room. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in the heart of your people. God, I thank you. God, that as we know you, as we not just read your word, not just understand about you, but our life begins to shift. Our life begins to change. Our life is transformed into your image. God, I thank you. I thank you, God. I thank you for the opportunity to be your son. Father, I give you full permission this week to ruffle our feathers, to offend us, to get on our nerves a bit, to have an honest, bold conversation where you bring us to the table and you challenge these mindsets that we've lived our life with. Because, God, we don't want the Holy Spirit within us to be a lake. We want it to be a river that flows out and changes the geography of those that we know. In Jesus' name I pray.